your CEO just plopped a lofty sustainability goal on your desk. Now what? Sure, you have to achieve that lofty number, which is exciting for so many reasons. But do you know the strategy? Do you know actually what you're going to do to meet that goal? And how do you know which strategy is going to be the best for your business? That is exactly what Bernard LaBelle, CEO of The Green Link, and his team do. Through their platform, which is embedded with the latest AI software, they help you validate, plan, and execute every single sustainability goal and find those solutions that you can use to reach your goals. And if that sustainability goal that your CEO plopped on your desk, you can go in and do research within the platform and see whether that's actually a good idea. You can vet it and then you can go back to the CEO and say, hey, that might have not been the best idea for this goal. So let's try to do this, this, this instead. And these are the reasons why. And it's all there for you, all tracked all logged everything so make sure you don't miss a single second of this amazing interview you are here for another dose of climate positivity on the green business impact podcast here we highlight the amazing work of green businesses from around the world that are fighting against climate change if you are ready to be inspired to take action ready to hear some amazing examples of how we are working to fight the climate crisis, then stay tuned because this week's episode will be the perfect hit of climate positivity. Bernard, do you mind telling us a bit about the Green Link and what you guys do? Hi, Billy. Thank you for having us here. What we tell, can tell you is we offer an AI-enhanced digital portal to enable organization to successfully design how they achieve sustainability by leveraging what already works. So in a sense, this means that we allow company to set up their sustainability goals and challenges in our portal. They can crowdsource initiatives from their staff by leveraging over 6,000 existing solutions in our libraries. They can manage all the sustainability initiatives and plantation projects in the portal. And because they got this whole project management built in, then they can consolidate the output of all these actions and creating a single click their sustainability report. Yeah, that's really awesome. I mean, because it can be really difficult for companies to know what are the options out there, especially for a chief sustainability officer, right? They come into this role and they're like, okay, now what do I do? And so they might be looking out there and trying to research all these different ideas and what's going on. But it can also be really difficult, not only just like knowing what's out there, but also understanding what applies to them and what's actually going to work for them. So how do you guys help with that as well? So the way that we do it, it was good. We built some artificial intelligence engines to help us curate solutions from around the world, from many different sources in many different languages. And then we curate them, we tag them, and we make sure that we can allocate them to every function, every industry, in every geography. So basically, you're right. There's a lot of things that can work for everybody. And there are some things that just are not suited to your specific location. I'll give an example. If you are in Europe, obviously one of the ways to not emit CO2 during your travels is to opt for high-speed trains. Now, in France, we already have high-speed trains. I would never recommend that to somebody in Brazil or in South Africa because it doesn't make sense, it doesn't exist. So that what we do is when we set up a new client, we look at all those libraries and we ask ourselves, what is industry this client in? What is the geography? And therefore, what makes sense? So that then users can only have things that they can start looking at and then assess whether or not it makes sense for the organization because they are the best people to know what will work and what won't. It's not an external consultant that can prescribe it. It has to be done by somebody from the inside to have a look at what exists 
and then make a choice of selection and then propose to initiate to implement that and document how it's going to be achievable and then you can have it. Yeah, definitely. And I really like how you mentioned that you have to document how it's going to be achievable, right? Because you can say, okay, we have this great goal to reduce emissions by 50% in the next five years or something. And it's okay. How are you going to do that? What are you going to put in place? What process are you going to see that you can see? Yes, it's working or no, it's not right. Because you can't just say, okay, we're going to reduce this and we're going to do that by doing this process and then start that process and never check on it. You have to see, is that actually working? Is it doing what you expect it to be doing? And what are the feedback loops that you can see that is going to make that difference on reaching that goal. So you guys also help with that process as well too, right? Yeah, in the way that you need to be able to be pretty sure that what you're proposing is achievable, implementable. Because if you don't start by looking at that from the get-go, what you end up with is, you know, those brilliant ideas everyone has under the shower in the morning, and you text your CSO officer, say, hey, we should do this. And then the team gets on it, spend two weeks, and not only do you find out, it's a ludicrous idea to start with. So what our method does through the portal is, when you get inspired by something that exists, then we'll challenge you to tell us how desirable, feasible, and viable is it. And therefore, when the idea reached, I would say, validation stages by the CSO and his team, you've got really strong potential ideas. And all we've kicked out all the half-baked ideas through the process of ideation. And therefore, when you say go, you know exactly how you're going to execute on that potential initiative. You know exactly the expertise that's needed, and you've confronted yourself with reality. And that's an important thing because then, the CSO and his team can be confident that when they say they'll be able to deliver, because today a lot of companies have publicly pledged to do better and I still have no freaking idea, pardon my French, on where to start. There's a stat that says 65% of companies don't know where to start. And a lot of them have done awareness exercises like a climate frisk, and then everybody's jazzed up and scared. And then what do we do? And the, how do we do? Everybody turns up to the CNS team and says, you're the experts of everything. And tell us what we should do. That's wrong. The CNS team are an enablers of the process, but it has to be owned by everyone in every industry, in every function, to ask itself and herself and oneself to, what is it that I can do better on the way I operate? And it's not just about CO2. Yeah, definitely. And what are some of those other things that people can do and then really ask themselves, it's not all about carbon emissions. It's not all about CO2. What are some other things that they can do as well? It's essential because if you think just CO2, one of the way you could do it, and I know we'll be talking about compensation later, but you say, okay, why don't I just plant some eucalyptus tree to compensate? Brilliant idea. Eucalyptus is very strong in capturing carbon, not as strong as kelp and you're taking viable land for food, for example. At the same time, if you take the entire Amazon and you just spread eucalyptus seeds on it, you'll kill all the biodiversity. So by looking at just carbon, we're actually not looking at the thing holistically, and we need to do that because we could address carbon, and we may do a very good job at it. We'll still have nanoplastics in breast milk because we haven't touched on that topic because we're all focused on carbon. So that's why we say we look the environment and society from a holistic perspective. We curate libraries of solutions to tackle all these different building blocks of human life. So food, water, energy, climate, biodiversity, land and water, and responsible consumption and production. And that way, we know that the companies that embark on their journey can improve their environmental footprint as a whole not just carbon. Yeah, definitely. It's really important because we often talk about like one thing, we get like really super focused on that one thing and then we can achieve that goal, right? But then it's okay. What about all the other things? Are you really looking at like 
the after effects of what you're doing is that really having a positive impact on some of the other things you're trying. I always talk about this great example from one of the other interviews that I did before. He was talking about the circular economy and his interview was called The Rubbers Project. And I'll link that in the description for everybody who wants to see it. But what he was saying was there was this airline who put forth the idea that, oh, we're getting rid of plastic bottles and we're going to trade it into these boxed water solutions, right? And so they were going to supply boxed water on all of their flights. And they were saying, yes, we did something really great for the environment. And they're like, yeah, we're doing something really great. And then when you really look into it, it's okay. You can, you took a plastic bottle, which could potentially be hundred percent recycled, but now you're using a boxed water, which actually has a line of metal inside of it because what happens when cardboard gets wet it disintegrates and just doesn't do well and the whole process for creating boxed water is a lot less sustainable because you're using so many more resources and it's not recyclable afterwards because of the fact that they have to put this lining in and all that other stuff so it's okay so you've traded something that could be recycled into something that could have a really larger impact on the environment. And it's okay. Did you really win there? It's really considering that holistically. And I love that you guys are doing that as well. And it's important because when you come to think of it, everything starts with the design of your product, your services, and you need to train your people to think differently. You need to give them access to knowledge that alternative material exists, alternative solutions exist, and they need to change the way that they actually do things and change the status quo, basically. And that's what we're also part of the module. And we've got many modules in our platform, but one of it is what we call the product design. That's where you can you compare what is you're actually doing to what could be. And then you can propose them as new initiatives to change the way you manufacture your product or services. Because you need to think about the ripple effects of what you just described, the ripple effects of your choices when changing something. And there's a lot of really bad solution out there that are being advertised as green and they're not. You need to think back. You need to have a conversation with your suppliers. It needs to be an ecosystem thinking. You just can't do it on your own. You have to do it with your business partners looking at your scope three is their scope one. If you, again, talking just carbon, but it's the same thing. If you ask them for a product and you find out it's the way to produce it, it uses 10 times more water than the previous option. During that 2022 was probably the freshest year we've ever seen so far because 23 is already looking up to be even worse, then obviously water is something you need to, to take into consideration when you're sourcing the components for your design, for the product, and you're talking to your suppliers. So it's definitely something that needs to be addressed by design. You need to have a holistic view of things up till the end of life. Definitely. And on your platform, you talked about you have some educational resources and things like that for people to really consider as they're going through each of these processes. Who do you suggest goes through this process for an organization when they come on board as a client? Do you have just the CSL looking at it or is anyone in the organization? Who do you say is like the best fit for that? So the, the one thing that we have to bear in mind is the CSO she or he is not a musician with the magic went to change everything. So that person cannot do it on its own, first and foremost. A lot of what we've seen is because the focus has been on carbon for the last 20 years, they're tremendously well-versed in whatever relates to carbon. Now that the issue is getting broader, they need to do to revamp their knowledge. And we have part of that as part of the academy. But going back to your point, I would believe that the answer lies in the maturity of the organization. You could have some organization where even staff level are highly aware of the environment. I'm thinking about the French cheesemaker Bell. They've got a high focus on understanding on plastic throughout the entire organization. 
So you don't need to have just the CEO, they understand it. So depending whether you are in the maturity on sustainability on your transformation journey, you could start with just the CSO, I mean, it's team, the CSO team's police expanded contacts within direction or everybody. But the academy portal is there to give pointers to a lot of existing resources, newsletters, games, books, podcasts, videos, and we have even a lexicon so that when people are confronted with something, they immediately have a go-to point where they say, is there something I can educate myself in five or 10 or 16 minutes, just to get a broad understanding of it. And then we can dive into deeper conversation on the topic, but at least I get that high level digest and we're applying to ourselves or we tell to our clients, don't reinvent the wheel. So what we do is we curate existing material we believe are fantastically well and, and beautifully crafted to explain things. And then we put them on the portals that our users, where they are on their learning journey, can come back and say, I want to learn more about nanoplastic. I want to learn more about alternative uh, leather or all these kinds of things. Yeah, definitely. That's great. And who can suggest different innovations, I mean, put ideas that would go through that validation process that you have on your platform? Who can do that? All of the users of our clients can submit at any point in time a potential new solution set, a potential new best practices, a potential new clean tech, a potential new alternative material, a potential new academic resources and a potential tool and services or new definition. It's all a collaborative. We spent two and a half years curating that information. We're bringing that to the portal so that when our clients on board, they already have a wealth of information to get inspiration from. But we know things are changing every day. So that's why we're saying, why don't we grow together? We will keep on doing our weekly surveillance about the new and the brightest and challenge it. And if they're good, we'll put it on the platform. But anytime any users can actually submit something new, and then we'll have a conversation. If it's a best practices, we'll have a conversation with a CSO saying, what is your point of view on that? Is it a best practice? Do you consider it as best? Yes. Then we'll add it to the platform. And then it's a kind of mix open source and curation from internal user base. Because if we believe that that makes sense for other companies in the same industry, in other geographies, we'll make that accessible. We'll hide any specific details, of course, but the idea is the more of us gets to leverage what exists, the faster we can get to a positive impact because we'll be scaling what already works. And therefore, it's easier than just trying to come up with something new. We'll need to find out 20 days later. That's not going to work at all. Yeah, definitely. That's great. And can you give us an example of a solution on your site or something that you would recommend for a client that you recently had go through a process? Maybe just show us an example here. Yeah, one of the things that's on the back in 2020, so it's not with a recent portal, but the same knowledge has been just refined and digitized in a way. But in 2020, the WWF in Switzerland came up to us and said, Say, hey, we need to, remember at the time it was COVID, so no flights. We need to remotely monitor how much carbon is captured in reforestation project using satellite data. Now we can't find something and we say, we're going to have a look at our AI curated things. We're going to go out there and we talk to the solution. We came back and we say, well, there are five companies that already exist. And when you combine them tomorrow morning, you could start monitoring the carbon captured in your project in Venezuela or Guatemala from Switzerland using AI and satellite images. So that's one of the things we did for Bell France. We had them in 2021 in looking at alternative fossil fuel free to packaging. And we found like 70 solutions around the world that could be a potential fit. And then they did the whole research internally because same thing, when you get inspiration, then you need to have internal, I would say, validation that actually going to be fitting your process, your industry. Or we could take example of Novo Nordisk. That's a pharmaceutical company. We've been helping them in Canada since 2020 and in France since 2022. And one of the latest things we did for them, that was in France. And they say as a pharmaceutical industry, and obviously they have some manufacturing process 
but that's not the case in with the location that we're living. But they were saying a lot of our carbon footprint is actually the Congress and events we organized to spread the knowledge of our new products to our new the health physicians. They say, what can we do about it? We've done some education to the team and then we're, we're stuck. We don't know where to start. So we got them on our platform. We told them, basically, if we're looking at the search engine, we have Congress and event. There's 155 best practices that you could be implementing. And they did the research and they were only doing a third of that already, meaning there were two thirds of potential room for improvement. And some of them, they decided they're going to go straight ahead. Some of them, they pushed back to the later stage. But it's all about looking at the way that you operate and be humble. To, I don't know everything. And maybe there's a different, better way of doing everything. And maybe if I only look at where is the knowledge I have and not look at the broader knowledge, I'll be missing out on some stuff. And that's what we do. We're very humble in that respect. So we might not know, but we're pretty sure with 8 billion people on the planet in an age of internet and Google, someone, somewhere, has already a portion of this. Now our job with the team is actually to go out and increase the, the knowledge basis so then our customers can go. In. And so we see WWF was about a data acquisition, monitoring, clean technology, noble orders that was more about a best practices and Bell was about an alternative material. So really is about looking at things in all those different aspects because otherwise you're just missing a tremendous number of opportunities to improve your environmental footprint overall. Definitely. That's awesome. And what was your motivation for creating the Green Link? It's a funny story. And thanks for asking. It's one thing that led us to create the Green Link is I was previously the National Innovation Director for Deloitte in Canada. And me and my team spent almost you know, two and a half, three years looking at all those breakthrough technologies at the time, AI, CRISP engine editing. We had 3D printing. We had blockchain. And I was bringing all those great knowledge about the solution that exists to kids at dinner every night and especially things that relate to the environment because we were i love the sea i love diving so we have a conversation about that then on sunday lunch and i did a tedx talk at mcgill in 2019 about it i just our son told us mom dad if these solutions exist why are they not scaled and what is that you're going to do to secure our future because when we look at the news, it seems in 11 years, at the time it was 2019, in 2030, our womb will be doomed. So in 11 years, we don't have a future. What are you going to do about it? How can you make sure that new solution gets implemented? And so that's where it starts with the intention to say, if it exists, if the knowledge exists, we have to spread the knowledge, but not just from an education point. It has to be embedded in some core strategic business principle, because the only way that an organization will act on it, if it's part of the strategy. And that's how it led us through a couple of iterations to land up with this new portal that we have that really goes from setting up the goals, crowdsourcing initiatives, leveraging what exists, prioritizing, managing the projects, reporting, and then loop back again, because next year you can challenge yourself, okay, I've done 20% reduction. Okay, I still want to do 25% more. What is it that I can change yet again? And you challenge yourself every time. And you need a tool to do that. You need a digital portal because we wanted to bring that knowledge, not just in French and English, which also to any language around the world. So by going digital, by using AI, we were able to have this portal in multi-languages so that people in South America can have it in their native Spanish or Brazilian languages, because not everybody talks English, not as well as you and I do. And then again, by going digital, you can massively scale, implement that. You have the ability to consolidate in a click because usually CSO and their team spend two to three months creating a CSR report because data is out there in emails, in PDFs, in PowerPoints, and they have to consolidate everything almost by hand while we do it in a click. So we're saying that a lot almost never found, but that's not just the notion of saving time and resources. If you only manage your strategy by looking at a static report that it could get produced once time per year and is already three months late when the time it gets produced, 
you're not in a position to make actual strategic management decision. You need to have a quarterly report where you have well, how are the year the initiatives uh, delivering on the output, which one are over delivering, which one are under delivering, and there you can have some basic strategic management policies. You know, we need to put more resources in there. We need to act upon that, and things change. Who could have predicted the Ukraine war and the and inflation and the energy crisis? People who started their journey in 2022 saying that we're going to be starting with just focus on carbon. Well, might not be the best thing. Probably you want to do something about energy efficiency and energy consumption reduction. Yeah, but my CSR report will not come up before three, four months from now. I don't have the workflows to get an updated information. Pretty sure everybody had it, but just to, to make an example out of it is you need to monitor it on a quarterly basis. You need a tool to consolidate the information because otherwise you're not setting up yourself in the best way to act, react, and change the course of the trajectory. And if you don't do that, chances are you won't be in business by the end of the decade. Definitely. That's super important. And thank you for sharing that story. I think a lot of entrepreneurs that I've talked to on this podcast has always been like, okay, yeah, I was doing this one thing and it was just like, I need to do more. There's something more that I need to do here. And I think that your kid brought that up to you and you were just like, yeah, all right, let me do this. I got to do this. We don't have enough time to just wait around and wonder if it's going to happen and wait for somebody else to do it. It's we get life by the hands and start going for it. So I love that. I think that's really great. And so what would you say is for any company out there, like looking at these sustainability solutions, what is like a first step to gathering all this information that you need to look at this holistically you talk about you have on the platform and everything to get started so, what would your suggestion be when we talk to clients we tell them if you don't match these four criteria our solution might not deliver the best value for you and there are two starting point is first sustainability has to be core business strategy it has to be right up there with any other strategic topic second it has to be supported and vetted and lifted by the ceo it has to come from the top that's the second criteria. The third criteria is there need to be a certain budget set aside by finance to fund those projects that will challenge and change the way that things are being done in a company. That's the third criteria, really essential. And the fourth, somebody has to be in charge. He has to be accountable. That could be the CSO, that could be somebody else, but accountability has to be held at the highest level of the C-suite. Someone has to own it, and then that person needs to be able to embark other people. That's where the platform comes in because it's easier to get people to get embarked when you provide them with things they can leverage rather than ask them to stare at a white wall and pondering, okay, how am I going to cascade that 20% reduction objective in my space? I'm in IT. What the heck can I do about energy consumption? Actually, there's a lot you can do about it. But if you don't give them access to potential ideas and you're not setting them up for success. So if once you've got those four steps, and they need to be done by the organization without our help before we can have a conversation. Once they've got there, then we can ask them. It's all about, because again, every context is different. It's all about, have you already made some pledges? Have you made an SBTI pledges on temperature? Have you made some other pledges like B Corp? Have you made a pledges for a plastic-free world? What is it that you've committed to so far? And then I'll give something to start with. At the same time, we'll tell them if you need to do some assessment in the tool and services library, you'll find a ton of potential providers that could do a carbon footprint assessment, that could do a product footprint assessment. Then you can decide that you want to start with that because you know this is your best selling product. Maybe you want to start with that. Maybe you want to start with a smaller selling product to have a pipe. There's so many different use cases and a way to approach it that we don't believe there's just one size fits all. What we do believe, if it's not a strategy business issue, if it's not owned by the leadership at the top level and with a public commitment made, if there's no money aside set to change things and no one's in charge, you'll never do a good job about it. Yeah, I completely agree. That's great. And 
What do you see as like the biggest obstacle for any of your clients coming on board that you help them overcome or help them see? One thing we know, and it's documented by statistics done both in North America and Europe, it's 65% of companies don't know where to start. That's amazing. They don't know. Where, they got this big thing. We got this. Okay. Two, two minus X. Water minus Y, energy renewables up by Z, fantastic. So what we help them think is we help them understand that in the library, they can do some searches on these assets and then they look at description of best practices, description of clean technologies, description of solution set, and then they can start having conversation even with a small team or the group of dedicated team that they just took out just to have a crack at potential ideas and maybe they'll do a workshop or something. But really one thing that they have a lot of difficulty overcoming, how do I translate that strategic figure into operational initiatives? The operationalization of the strategy is the hardest part. You can set up a strategic intent and that's a funky thing. If you look at SBTI, a lot of companies made pledges. And I'm really thrilled about this. I asked them how many of them already have a clear operational plan to deliver on those plans. That number might be lower than 5% from the last conversation I had with some of the people in there. So the intention is there, which is fantastic. You have to have an intention, but they're struggling with, and now how do I deliver? Now, the funny thing about it is once you start going public on your assumptions, people will hold you accountable for it. So they can be your shareholders, they can be your clients, they can be your financial partners, or you can be your staff saying, we pledge on that. We haven't moved the needle one centimeters on inch. What is it that we intend to do? Actually, we, we're working on it. Don't start working. Ask yourself, if you do search on that, is that doesn't sound like a fair option to consider? Yes, no. Is it it's a fair option to consider? How does it translate at our level? Actually, we need to change this. We need to change. Okay, so now we have an idea of something that could potentially be orchestrated to take a chunk off this big strategic target, boil it down into ops or manufacturing or IT or marketing or HR. That's how you start building it because there's never be a one-stop solution, magic one silver bullet. That does not exist. What you need to do is cascade at operational level in every domain and then get them to stack up back. And that's where your small rivers makes great rivers. I think that's the French saying. I may have translated it wrong. But the idea is you link all those small actions, which are not small because they're not made by individual, made by individual in their decision-making process as part of a role in an industry, meaning that when they decide to change something, they've got the full might and volume of the company. I'll take an example. In Europe, when you go to get your car to be serviced and maintenance, you usually get your car back with a lot of plastic on the drive wheel and on the driver's seat. That plastic is usually a single use. Now, if one person in one position as a purchasing manager decides to say, I'm gonna source a different bioplastic from seaweed, fully recyclable, that's one decision. But what the impact is with the number of cars that are being serviced throughout Europe, that one decision has a tremendous amount of impact at scale. If that person decided at home, I'm not gonna use plastic anymore, I'm gonna use some other bags, it's fantastic, but it's only him or her in her in your personal environment. If he or she makes a conscious business decision, then the impact gets scaled. And if everybody in a business position can make a business decision to change things at scale within its own company, it will ripple off and then it will stack up and we'll get there. We'll curb the climate trajectory. Yeah, definitely. I fully agree. And that's one of the big things about this podcast is really looking at, okay, what are businesses doing? Because that's how we are going to solve this climate crisis because they can actually have an impact, especially when say you are a bioplastic manufacturer and you're supplying these bioplastics. It can be your whole company is based on how well you are impacting and making a more sustainable planet. And so if 
if we can support these companies through this podcast, by listening to this podcast and going on and supporting them from here, you can really see that this ripple effect that we can have because we can wait around for the government to provide funding and put regulations and all these things, but it's not going to be nowhere near as fast or in the timeline that we need. Working with these companies where the government is just never going to have the fire under their butt to like get things moving. That's a very, you know, North American opinion. But if you're somebody that's in one of these highlands in the Pacific, you might have not under fire, but under war, and that's coming up fast. But you're totally right. be the main issue with governments is not the fact that they don't have any power. It's the fact that their power has a specific timeline of existence. They only have is the next vote coming up, and that can undo whatever they've done so far. And that's why we need governments to put in new regulation. We need governments to put in funding, definitely. But are they the best vehicle to execute? I don't think so. When in the U.S., in the 1930s, when they had this whole program built the Hoover Dam, it was public ordering, but it was private company delivering. That way, it is the private companies that can deliver massively at sea because it's on their own best survival interest to start with. Private companies know how to survive. I mean, they've survived COVID and went to digital transformation and remote working. And six months, we've been talking about this digitalization of the workplace for a decade. We did that in less than six months. Yeah, because when you have to... If it's for your survival, you do it, right? And so that's the same thing here. We put these things into place. And if it's for your survival, because if people stop buying your product because it's not sustainable, what are you going to do? You're going to sell a sustainable product. And where do you see the industry going over the next few years? Where do you see these sustainability initiatives being placed into these companies? Do you see this as increasing with more companies actually knowing what they're doing and having a plan and process in place? Or what do you you see for the market? I think we're in a structuring space. When you think, you look back, we were talking about GEs or corporate social abilities. And for the previous two decades, there's a lower focus on carbon. And that's all. There's a whole different set of stories of why carbon there and why do we put a price on carbon? Who actually suggested that to start with? And then there was the social aspect of equality. And from our personal convictions, we'd rather still a bit less educated, but on a thriving planet than all educated on a dying planet. And that's why we say we need to focus on the environment. And that's what led us to create the greening. But what's interesting is ever since we created ourselves and we went to the market early in 2020, actually we started at the very beginning of COVID, what we've noticed is the topic became more and more pregnant at company board level. Obviously, there are heat domes in the West Coast of Canada, the floods in Europe, the dry summer, the fires, the cost of insurance. Some companies cannot get insured anymore because they're located in California. And as a winemaker, you won't find a wine insurance anymore because it's just you're in a bad place. Basically, there's nothing we can do. Insuring you will cost us more and more, and you as well. So because of that, over the last two years, what we've seen is a build of pressure from regulation, from a financial world to do better. We've seen a tremendous increase. I think there was a, a 30% uptick of job posting on sustainability in LinkedIn in Europe from 2021 to 2022. Definitely, companies are getting out there, getting the skill. There's a shortage of skill on that. And also, you don't need to be an expert in everything. You need to be able to have this holistic understanding. And then you rely on expertise because no one can know everything. The myth of the polyeducated person of the Renaissance cannot stand anymore. You need to be a massive generalist, a specialized generalist to understand everything. We're thrilled about is we're seeing all these companies taking bolder moves in terms of getting the staff in, getting the equipment. And we believe that they will go forward. 2023 might be a year where we'll reach a tipping point because the more and more clients and prospects we talk to realize 
that they need to actually deliver now and they can't deliver without the knowledge, they can't deliver without the teams and they can't deliver without the tools to manage all that. So we are very confident in the space that it will go there. And one of the things that really thrilled about is even though the last two years conversation was about just carbon, we now have clients that tell us where so product design modules, can you add externalities? Can you add toxicity? Can you add renewable energy or recyclable percentage as part of the component that will be making our decision based on? We say, absolutely, we can do that. It's part of our blueprint anyway. So what we're thrilled about is looking at what we foresaw as you need to take a step back and the global the nine planet boundaries, you need to look at it from a global perspective. While we were seeing the whole business world just focused on one, now they're anticipating what's coming up next. I had a conversation with saying, well, we've got this request from our biggest client to tell them exactly what's our carbon footprint per product. But I want to make a choice of a partner that will just do carbon because I know six months from now, they'll ask us about water. Not right now, in July. In July, when the, the planet will be on fire again, then they'll say, okay, we need to actually make sure that we don't have as much water consumed in the, the production of our raw material. So they know that it will be CO2 is last year, 23, 23 will be about water being part of the decision-making process. And my hope is that then we'll reach plastic in 2024 and others and others. So in a way, what we're seeing is the space getting more mature, staff and, and talents in companies getting more mature on their journey, the conversation being addressed more broadly at C-suite level, board level. And you've got the pressure from financial your providers that tell them, you, we need to understand exactly how are you doing on sustainability before we're going to lend you any money. And that's interesting, the notion of the pressure coming from the customers. RFPs are, give me an RFP that doesn't have a sustainability component right days, then that might be an indication as to a mature organization, but it's almost everywhere. That being said, again, this is a very European G20-centric things. Not the case in all parts of the world, but if you're able to provide them, that's why you want to go digital. That's why you want it to be multilingual. If we could help them do better right now by leveraging it exists, we'll achieve the same thing that telecoms companies have done in Africa and South America, where instead of going to landlines before going to mobile, they just jump-started and went straight to mobile. So if these companies in India and in other places want to do better and have access because it's digital, it's affordable to knowledge bases and find out new ways of doing things on your Mars, then they might start correcting things right now where they are. It means that everybody can improve. So it's really for us, it's important to make sure that everyone can have access to that knowledge because one has the ability to change something regardless of the geography or the industry he or she is in. Yeah, definitely. That's super important. And I love how you mentioned the telecoms. You're just jumping straight for, to mobile. And I think mean, that's what we need to do here. And I love that you guys are providing a multilingual platform and everything because everyone needs this information, especially those developing countries, because they don't need to go through the whole process of coal and doing all oh. the things that we did. Like they can just jump over, start with renewables, start with solar power, start with different sustainability solutions, start with not even using plastic to begin with, like, just like using different options and building that from the ground up is so useful. You can take the lessons that we've learned over this time and just jumpstart it. <laughs> it's something that this young generation is eager to do. They're eager to challenge it because they know they'll stick around the planet for a couple of years to come or decades to come, hopefully. And therefore, they want to make sure they'll end up in a better place. So by getting them to, be, to go on board and challenge them inside their industry and get them the knowledge of that type of tool exists is essential because then they can go and start changing the way they operate, use other technologies, less fumes, less pollution, less health problems, so much benefits to that. The question is, 
what's refraining me from not doing it. Definitely. I love that. And I love to ask this question. And I know we've talked a little bit before. What are you currently learning right now? So one of the things I wanted to understand is why is it, even though we've seen the curves of climate and we've been talking about, we were never in a position apart from a very few enlightened scientists and others to really grasp how fast the changes will become. And we're talking about exponential changes. And one of the things that were really striking is when you look at the International Energy Agency prediction on solar panel production, they had to revise it every year because the curve was not linear. It became exponential. So I was asking, how is it that we as humans are not able to grasp and to anticipate those exponential changes? And I've been reading a book called A Thousand Brain, A New Theory of Intelligence by Jeff Hawkins fantastic book. And what the book describes is, so 20 years of neuroscience research, and he describes in very precise terms that we are neurobiologically wired to linear thinking. Is The way our brain works is by anticipating what's supposed to come next, and we have what he calls frame of reference, meaning that knowledge of what are the potential outcomes, which is the reason that when you have a red bull coming up in your view, you look at it and you see it, because it's not something that you're supposed to be expecting. And therefore, if it's different, then it will strike you and get your attention. Now, when the ball flows downward because of gravity, that's something you expect. If the gold goes up, then you'll be surprised again. But meaning by that is we're so accustomed to linear thinking that we cannot understand neurobiologically, unless you make a conscious approach to it, but at least from like regular thinking about, you just anticipate things to go just up or down in a linear fashion. But actually what we've seen is that it's not a butterfly effect. It's actually you by one degree or one-tenth of a degree. And then you've got massive changes in geostorms and in heat domes and everything. And it's compounding effects. You've got heat domes, you've got wildfires, you've got wildfires, you scorch the earth. The rain comes, then you've got mudslide that will take everything out. And then there's the story that happened in West Canada. But it's really is, how can we not anticipate that? Because we're biologically wired to linear thinking. Now, when you're aware of it, then you need to be able to build up storytelling techniques and education techniques to understand this is how it will act. And this is how you need to think. And again, you retrain your brain to not just have the reference frame of linear thinking, but to expect exponential changes. And I was really lucky because that's that's what we did for two and a half years at my previous you know, Deloitte National Innovation Director position and being part of the global innovation community as was looking at exponential technology. And we knew they were changing really fast. The progress made in AI and quantum and others. I'd had the luck for two and a half years to be bathed in these exponential changes of technology. So I came to understand that we live in a science fiction world that was invented 25 years ago, and that's not going to stop. And therefore, I'm not surprised when I see these things. What I'm surprised about is people were not getting it. And that's why I say I need to understand why is it they're not getting it, because we got access to the same information. Hence, back to the book about the, the Thousand Brains, A New Theory of Intelligence by Jeff Hawkins. Yeah, that's great. It's super difficult for us to understand when things don't grow linearly. <laughs> but lots of things don't have that growth rate. So being able to understand when things do have exponential growth, it's a great way to train your mind. I think that's really important. That you're exploring that. Look at the important. price of solar panels. It's an exponential yeah. curve straight down. Yeah. And it's going to yeah. keep on doing that. So once you accept that as a rule or an evolution path, then from a financial perspective, you can make a prediction. Okay, I'm going to start with just one panel. But by next year, the next panel I buy will be cheaper. We did the same for the clients. They told us, how can we make sure that we have budget for changing tire fleet in five years? And we say, don't worry about it. You just budget for what the prices are of the EVs right now. Because the way technology is working, next year, your quote might be 25% less. So there's no need for you to try and set aside a massive budget for five, six years. We know the price will go down. 
it is is meant to be the exponential curves are there so just start with managing what you can do in the time frame that you have for management decision making which is usually a fiscal year take the assumption what you have build on that and then midway through the year revise it because guess what technology will have increased price will have come down as you said before if we have a new bioplastic manufacturer the company might have 10 times new orders and they may have the production lines and therefore the pricing cost might have dribbled down by you know, 10 15 percent which makes it's more affordable for you the more you order it's a virtual circle in the end, but you have to understand that things will change and you need to factor that in the way that you approach decision-making in sustainability, whether it's from a technology changes, whether it's from adoption changes, there's a lot of things that's gonna be happening because we live in a wired connected world with so much computing powers and our fingertips and knowledge that we're just beginning to learn how to master it and harness it for the greater good. Yeah, definitely. And just a last couple of questions so we can finish up here. What is one tip that you would have for any green business owner or any entrepreneur here on the podcast listening in? What is one tip that you would have for them to grow their green business or just get started? So if we're talking about a company that wanted to green their business, I think it's just start with something that already makes sense, already exists. And you can start with the pilot and then prove the case that you can be done and repeat and again and expand it. If your question is about a company that does green business advisory, there's a lot of things that we can do on that. If people are business consultants on sustainability, reach out to us, we'll grow together. There's a lot of things that we can do together if you're in the clean tech i'm out in the material i would say have a really look out as what already exists so that you don't spend your time reinventing the wheel there are some breakthrough technologies and glad there are new technologies coming up but however what i've seen a lot of times they start up that just creating a me too product i've got dozens of stories like that whether in europe north america we're saying we're going to be on the new generation solar panel but it already exists why don't we just bring it oh the new generation of robot exists in, in in new zealand oh no we want to build it here it's already working your drawing board so i think it all comes down to one thing is remember we eight billion people on the planet so be humble if you think that you're onto something do the research partner with the people that have the technology because it won't be a silver bullet and if you're trying to make the world a greener place it's a really good idea because that's the only way we're going to be having a future. Yeah, definitely. Business is a team sport. So find those people that can support you and help you guys go farther as fast as possible. So that's great. And if anybody is interested in learning more about the Green Link, how can they get in touch with you, follow you? Where can they find you? So first of all, we got our website, www.thegreenlink.co. Co. Um, my email is very simple. It's Bernard at thegreenlink.co. And you can also follow me on LinkedIn and follow our LinkedIn page, our corporate LinkedIn page, where you've got some news sort of about what we do and the things that we've seen that are interesting. Because we're always sharing information, knowledge, and sources that we believe will make the work a better place if a lot of people know about it. That's the best way to reach out is website. You've got a demo contact page email, reach out to me and follow me on LinkedIn and just ping me. That's great. Thank you so much, Bernard, for coming on to the Green Business Impact podcast here. It's been awesome learning about all that you do and talking all about sustainability and what needs to happen to make this world a greener place. So thank you so much for coming on the show. Thank you, Billy, for having me. It was really a blast. And I think that it's essential that you're actually spreading the news about all the different actors because it's an ecosystem play. We'll not make it our own. We'll make it together. And that's what's important is we need to be aware of that these solutions, these providers, these businesses exist. And then you can say, okay, let's connect the dots. Let's go at it together. Let's have a crack at it because that's the only way that you can actually solve a huge problem. It's one little piece at a time. Giant Lego set, they build a, a giant A-file tower, but it's how many dozens of, of, of pieces. It's one by one. Then you get this beautiful thing.
So we need to connect the dots. Everybody can learn from each other and then we'll make this place. And if you enjoyed this interview with Bernard, where he is helping companies of all sizes lock a plan in place to achieve their sustainability goals, then I invite you to check out this interview with Frog Cheeks. They have created a marketplace where you can find companies that are already doing great work to fight the climate crisis, making it easy for you to find the B2B services that you need to meet your sustainability goals. Thank you for listening to another episode of the Green Business Impact Podcast. We hope you enjoyed hearing your weekly dose of climate positivity. In a world that constantly inundates you with the negative things happening, it can be great to take a break and hear some great things happening in the world. Make sure to hit subscribe on Apple Podcasts or your favorite podcast app to stay up to date with the latest and best interviews of the top minds in the green industries. And if you are interested in launching your own podcast to make an even larger impact on the world, then look no farther than the podcasting platform that I use here to launch every single episode of Green Business Impact, Podbean. I searched through all the different podcasting platforms out there and the best choice by far was Podbean. They give you truly the best value and all the resources you need to spread your message to the world by easily connecting you to all the different podcasting networks like Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, all of them. And they give you so many resources and opportunities to monetize it as well. So if you are on the fence about which podcasting platform to go with, make sure you check out the link in the description below to register your podcast with Podbean. Thanks again, and we can't wait to see you back here next time for another hit of Climate Positivity.